what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. the Entrepreneur Exchange on the Mesh Podcast Network, a monthly conversation about startups and small business with ideas, tools, and advice to operate your business more effectively. On today's show, we're going to talk about low-cost marketing research. How can you find out some information about your potential startup without breaking your bank? We'll have our Small Business of the Month feature. Uh, We're also going to be joined by Gary Gale Norris, who's a serial entrepreneur who provides assistance to entrepreneurs. And we're going to be talking with Gary about bootstrapping and feasibility. And actually, uh, we're going to go ahead and introduce Gary and welcome Gary. Gary, how are you doing today? I'm doing awesome. I really appreciate the opportunity to be with you guys today. Well, Gary Gale Norris is here. My name is Jeff Newville. I'm director of the Small Business Center at uh, Catawba Valley Community College in Hickory, North Carolina. I'm joined by my co-host, Gary Muller, who is the dean of the School of Business, Industry, and Technology at Catawba Valley Community College. Gary Muller, I got two Garys today. Gary That's Muller, right. how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's been a, a good week. Been a good week, and we're, we're sitting here in... Uh, Early March in, in Western North Carolina, we've had a little bit of spring, we've had a little bit of summer, and now we seem to be back in winter. That's what I hear. You can have all four seasons in one week here in North Carolina. <laughs> That's true. It's the beauty, so of, true. the beauty of North Carolina. So, But anyway, uh, happy to have Gary Muller, happy to have Gary Gale Norris. And uh, I came across an article that I thought would be of interest and in, in, uh, wanted to invite uh, Gary Norris to chime in on it as well. It was out of uh, uh, the most recent Entrepreneur Magazine uh, March edition called Hustling for Opinions. And it was about an entrepreneur with a new, a new product. It's a butter dish that she calls Buttery. And uh, she was starting out with her new product and wanted to figure out whether people would buy it or not, which is what we would think any new business wants to think through before they go too far and start writing checks. So before she went out and spent a lot of money on production, she wanted to get some research. She went to a research firm, which quoted her $10,000 to go out and do surveying and whatnot, and that was beyond her budget. So what she decided to do was start doing her own interviews whenever she traveled. So she started surveying people in airports when she traveled. And in fact, at one point, she purchased a $39 one-way ticket just so she could get through the security checkpoint and get into uh, the airline waiting areas and, and start talking to people. That's a clever way to get yeah. Sort of cheap, cheap market research. Mm-hmm. And uh, pretty quickly, she got over 1,000 surveys, which helped her to validate her product and, and determine whether people would buy it. Uh, figure out what color she should make it in and give her some input on what the pricing should be. And it's now available at Bed Bath & Beyond, and it's being sold on QVC. But you know, as, as I was reading this article, it really struck me that, that you know, we, we all deal with people that are starting businesses, and, and too often they've shown it to friends and family, 
who love it. You know, of course. <laughs> and love them. And love That's them. That's exactly right. And uh, you know, and, and made me start to think a little bit about you know how do how do people go out and uh, try to validate their product without uh, breaking the bank? Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, you know, just uh, I know in my experience. You know, Talking to customers is the key, not, and not not everyone is good at it, you know, because uh, getting unbiased opinion is a challenge. And and Gary Norris, have you have you seen people struggle with that, or do you have any advice with them for them sure. when they're going out to talk to customers? Sure, I think I think this article is per is a perfect example of what we're teaching entrepreneurs to do, and that is. Um, Rather than pay the $10,000, especially in a bootstrap model, rather than pay the $10,000 to have someone go out and do what you really need to be doing yourself to have your finger on the pulse of your target customer, we're encouraging entrepreneurs to identify who they believe their target customer would be and ask them three questions. Are you buying this now? How often are you buying this now? And if you are buying it, what are you paying for it now? That tells the entrepreneur three things. Is the target customer a buyer? And if not, if they're not buying a similar product, would they buy your product? Two, how often are they going to be buying your product? What's your reorder rate? And three, what's your target market? Viability for price. And that's we just that's what we encourage them to do, is exactly what the article talks about. She did. Sure, hers is a broader base of customer because it's a consumable, it's butter. But if it's a widget or if it's a, if it's an intangible service, identifying that target market and asking those three questions can save you a lot of money and a lot of time. And you know, and when you read an article like this, at least for me, sometimes it sends me down a rabbit hole a little bit <laughs> with that that wacky internet thing. And uh, you know, so I, I started just doing a little bit of quick looking around on suggestions on you know it's easy to say let's go talk to customers sometimes more challenging to do and if you're in a smaller town or or might not have as much access to them and you know and just some ways just some suggestions for how you might get out there and reach potential customers Uh, you know social media you know obviously has a big has a big reach Mm -hmm. and and if you go out to linkedin or twitter or facebook they often they have polls that you can conduct exactly right uh, and and get some feedback there uh you know a few of the articles that i that i came across suggested uh attending trade events trade shows which does have some cost to it but (coughs) it's going to put you in the right place to talk to potential customers there as well uh Survey Monkey uh, is something that we use at our small business center, where you can put together free surveys. Or they have some limitations on the free version, but uh, you can put surveys together to reach out to people. Uh, you know, focus groups. I ran across information there with pros and cons, in that not everybody can properly conduct a focus group. You know, if you're doing a focus group <laughs> with friends and family, they're probably going to love it. You know, so so. Being able to do it in an unbiased type fashion. To get the right people. The right people in the group. And be able to ask the right questions to get, you know, you, you, you're, trying to, you're trying to get a hold of reality here. Right, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, exactly. So, the, you know, the, these are, these are uh, challenges. And, and ultimately getting samples in the hands of potential customers and, and getting their feedback. So those are some of the things that I was coming across. Yeah, that's huge. A lot of entrepreneurs aren't. Are, are afraid, you know, as, as we've seen a lot of times in our consulting, um, entrepreneurs are afraid to 
to have that initial conversation with the customer. But I think afraid because of what they might hear, or, right? Or just oh, I'm just nervous about nervous about on the phone, uh, right? It's exactly, a phone nervousness, or, yeah, or um, maybe just an introvertedness about. What if they? What if I'm rejected? A fear of rejection. Yeah, exactly. And um, once I hold their hand and I, I show them how I do it, it's really just like talking to a family member. You're just asking them to help you. Mm-hmm. And rather than calling someone and saying, "Listen, I'm conducting a survey. I'm with such and such research group. We want to," instead of going that route, if an entrepreneur calls and say, "Listen, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm thinking about doing this, and it would really help me." If you tell me what you think about my idea, people are 99 times much, they're very willing to give their opinion. (laughs) Yeah, because if you get that, I'm conducting a survey, you get a lot of clicks, I suspect. Sure, sure. Sure. Anyway, as we were were talking, I mean, just uh, some food for thought in terms of all these ways, to me, the, the common theme is, you got to talk to your customers mm-hmm. and and get their actual feedback. You, you, know, you it's great that you come up with a business idea or a service, uh, invention, product, whatnot. Uh, but if you do it in the ivory tower and you don't reach out and get customer input, uh, your your chances of success without getting that input are, are a lot lower than once you get the input. That's true. So. Anyway, all right, so that's our article for your, your thinking and uh, your, your thoughts today. And, and really what we want to talk with uh, Gary Norris about is uh, related to this, is uh, assessing business feasibility and, and some ideas for ways to bootstrap your business, which means getting your business up and running uh, with a limited amount of funds. Uh, so, and, and Gary, as I mentioned, is uh, you know, what we might call a serial entrepreneur. And he has founded several companies, including uh, North Wind Companies and Compass Coaching. And he, last year, he started Norris Ventures to work with entrepreneurs and assist them in the startup phase and develop sales and marketing strategies with them. So, so Gary, welcome again. Yes, to, it's, it's good to be with you, both of you. It's good to be because okay, you're just here. I know. Well, you never left. <laughs> We're just, you know. Surrounded by Gary's. So, so Gary, when you are working with entrepreneurs, and, and, and to me, always one of the first things that, that we're trying to get to is, is really doing some assessment of, can a business be feasible? Can it be profitable? I mean, how, how do you try to help entrepreneurs think through that process when you're working with them? Well, I think the first thing that an entrepreneur absolutely must do is determine if there is a target market. And that's, that's where that research begins that we were just talking about. Um, if you can identify that you have a target market, then you have a place to begin building an idea. And I'll just use personal experience for myself. <clears throat> I knew that for my concept at Northwind Companies, there were other companies doing a similar type thing. So I already knew who my target customer would be, hospitals, clinics, healthcare providers. Uh, so then I knew exactly where I could have start beginning, begin to have my conversations about, is this something you would buy? How often do you buy it and what would you pay for it? Um, so the first thing that I lead entrepreneurs to do is, obviously, uh, one, of the, those, one of those big pieces is a business plan. And I, in my perception, the business plan is really most important for the entrepreneur because it helps them unpack every nook and cranny of what they're thinking about a business plan and it really causes them to think about things they normally wouldn't think about even if no one ever sees that but them 
I always tell entrepreneurs, you need to revisit that every 90 days and just unpack it again and again and just keep evolving. Um, But once you've gotten on the other side of it on paper and then you've identified your target market, then you can begin to reach out to that target market and explore with them how they would respond to your approach to that service or product. And that's where we start. I, I always think that the, these days, the, the when you, when you tell people they have to do a business plan, their eyes glaze over. I think we have <laughs> we have to come up with a new term for that. I don't know. I, so, so I was I was I was at a uh, program last night on on how to start a food business, and and uh, one of the people on the panel said, "Well, you, you know, some people give me twenty five page business plans, and I'm happy to read them, and I don't I don't know anyone that's happy to read a twenty five page <laughs> business plan." <laughs> No, I would agree. <laughs> but anyway, uh, you're, you're trying to validate the target market is always a, a, a starting point there. Exactly. Always, always. You know, the business plan, could it's really business feasibility on paper is what it is. Mm-hmm. And the business feasibility has to start with you. How many of us here have, have met business uh, entre- aspiring entrepreneurs who have an idea, but they don't even have it? worked out in their own mind. They just have an idea. They have an idea. And they think it'll work. Yeah. But they haven't yeah. gone through all. That's why people have their eyes glaze over with a business plan, because it means you've got to, yeah, as okay. you say, unpack it. I love that term. Uh, and that makes that's a difficult process. It is. But it's imperative. But, it, but it's the only way you're going to yeah. be successful is to imperative. go through those details. Look, I'm not a fan of them either. I'm not <laughs> a fan of business planning. I'm not crazy about reading 25-page business plans. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, to, to me, like, uh, a key link in the, between the business plan and the feasibility is at some point you got to get numbers on a page and say, what are you going to charge for this product or service? What is it going to cost you to produce this product or service, how many of them do you think you can reasonably sell? You know, right. how, do you, how do you get people thinking like that? Well, I mean, that's, that's where that whole the, question, the line of questioning goes when it says, how much would you pay for it? Your target market, you may be thinking that your product is worth $100, mm-hmm. but your target market may only respond to 30 Well, if, if consistently your target market only responds with a $30 average ticket, you need to go back to your math and say, can I... Can we viably and profitably launch this business at $30 when the, that's what the market is yielding? And that will tell you a ton uh, as to whether or not. Yeah, because you might do a survey and they say, Would you, do you like this product? Would you buy it? And go, yes, yes. But if you don't follow through and say, what are you willing to pay for it? It sounds like a pretty logical thing that you would ask, but a lot of people don't necessarily want to know that. Yeah, well, you've got to know it. I mean, you just got to know what your market's going to pay. Um, how many times have we seen entrepreneurs – Go all, take all the steps except the financial one and put a price tag on it that's unreasonable and no one responds. Their target market says, we love everything about you but the price. And why didn't I know that before? Well, that was that painful piece. Yep, that exactly. We really didn't, that's the bridge we didn't want to cross. Because yeah, we didn't want to get rejected too early in the process. Right. And every entrepreneur sees 12 figures in the bank when they start their business you know they're thinking this is going to be awesome we're going to make lots of money and the really the only way to accomplish the reality of that is knowing what your target market's willing to pay well once you once you cross that uh, hurdle of of saying it, it it looks like this can be a workable business looks like this can be a profitable <clears throat> business uh, you know, I, I, one of the next question often that that I often get, probably you guys often get, is, "Gosh, 
I need some money to get this thing off the ground. And uh, and there is some money out there for, for new businesses, but it's tough, and, and it's not always the right way to go. And the concept of bootstrapping is one in which uh, you use your existing resources, your own resources, to 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 get up and running. And and Gary, I know this is something that uh, you're very very big on. So how, you know what? Tell us about your your thoughts on bootstrapping. And when you work with people, uh, how do you how do you direct them to 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 make that a, a winner for them? Sure. Um, a lot of people call it self capitalization, but bootstrapping, self-capitalizing, um, same thing. The, the, the biggest part of that is being willing to have conversations with the vendors that it's going to take to get you through the first 90 days. Um, that say, the conversation says, we, are you willing to give me net terms on the products or services that I need from you to launch my business based on what we call letters of intent or purchase orders? So if you have a viable, let's just use a tangible product. We have a product. We know what it's going to cost us to get to, to, to produce it. We know what it's going to cost us to take it to market. And then we know what it's going to cost us to remain in the market. So we call it kind of two financial buckets. It's um, from concept to launch and then from day one launch on. So you've got your get to day one and then operational. Sometimes I might call that the startup expenses, then your operating expenses. That's right. Sure. So once you've determined what those math that what the math is for the startup, you can go to the vendors that make that startup a reality and say, I need terms. Can you give me terms based on the market's response to my product via a PO or a letter of intent to purchase? And in this economy, as we talked in earlier, Gary, mm-hmm. that nine times out of ten, what we're finding, and I should have mentioned this to you earlier. The letter of intent to purchase and the PO is currency in this market, uh, even to banks and to investors. Um, I talk to them every week. Investors, one of their first questions is, do they have a letter of intent or do they have a PO? And that becomes the currency, the collateral, really, mm-hmm. for the for the ask or for the loan. So that's that's where we start. We ask for the the vendors for terms. And if the vendors will give us terms, then we borrow only, if we need to borrow at all, we'll borrow only what we need to get to liquid revenue, which may be 60 days, 90 days, six months, whatever it is, we know that in advance. And instead of borrowing a three-year uh, overhead coverage loan or, or some, some exorbitant amount that will prevent us from touching our profits in those three years, we only get what I call... Um, enough for the net, which is a 90-day loan to get me to liquid revenue. And then I, that's paid off, and I'm the first one to touch my profits in 90 days. Yeah, and when it comes to 90-day loans, you know, uh, is, is that Guido or, or who's, who's making those 90-day loans? And if you don't pay them back, do you, uh, do you, you lose a finger or something? Right, it could be Guido, but then it could be Uncle Tommy or uh, – but it's a much smaller amount. And – what that does, you know, most lenders have a $5,000 minimum. And let's make no mistake, those smaller loans have higher rates mm-hmm. because the lender has to make their return. But I would rather pay a higher rate for a smaller amount and be out of that, from underneath that debt sooner than have to pay, get a better rate and still be under the debt in three years without being able to touch my profits because the lender touches the profits before anybody once you're making money. So, so understanding that uh, how how quickly you can get to profits is, is certainly important. 
what one of the challenges that I see when I talk to, to entrepreneurs, I'd be interested in your in your perspective, is too many of them come in and say, "Well, you know, here are my numbers, and by the way, you know, I, I need to be clearing three thousand or four thousand a month from month one. I got expenses, you know, and sure. which I'm sure you do, um, <laughs> you know, and and uh, making sure that uh, they can cover their initial expenses and is certainly important, but." A lot of startups don't have the luxury of paying salaries to ownership off the bat. And, and how, do you, how do you direct people in, in those situations? Well, I think it's important that they do understand that there are going to be some sacrifices, that it isn't a job. You're going to take my cable TV away in March? You know, I, well, I got potentially. To watch. Potentially. That's, that's, my wife would appreciate that if we took my cable away. <laughs> but you have to – that's a very – important serious conversation that it's not a job you know it's i got this idea i do talk to a lot of folks and students that say i'm going to start this job and then i'm going to make x number of dollars and i think that's something that needs to be put on the table real quick because they're going to be very disappointed and they're going to lose their enthusiasm and then probably not do well but I thought I could go on Shark Tank and they were going to give me a million dollars, Gary. Well, some, they will. But as we talked even in our session yesterday with our uh, students, that not every Shark Tank deal uh, goes through, even the ones that they accept on TV, because they have to do their due diligence and look through the business concept. And, but there are some that may do very well. But they have to sacrifice it first anyway. No, I, I, I agree. I know. I just, you know, sometimes uh, it takes a while for people to recognize that. Yes. So. Gary, you talked about working with uh, vendors and resources on terms as one way that, uh, uh, you know, one way to bootstrap your business. Are there other bootstrapping ideas, techniques that uh, you work with people on or, or suggest to people as they're, they're starting up their business? I mean, you know, looking at their business concept, sometimes they might have to scale it back, or, or are, are there other things that you look at? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I think scaled launch is crucial. Uh, it's what we call scaled launch, and that means you're launching in increments that you can afford. Um, I, I'm just not sure... I haven't yet ran into a scenario where an, an entrepreneur, a true startup, is in a position to come under two hundred, a quarter of a million dollars worth of debt and survive. And so, you had those conversations when you've been in business for three years. You've been profitable for the last six months, and now you need to expand. That's when you can, in a, in a responsible and healthy way, begin to consider a healthy amount of debt for your business, for an expansion or for uh, more, adding more staff, whatever the case may be. Um, scaling your launch gives you the ability to do so in a healthy way financially, and in a healthy way occupationally. And most entrepreneurs that I know are still bivocational. So they're working a job somewhere, whether that's part-time or full-time, and trying to see their their dreams to fruition. A lot of times it just takes uh, encouraging, just standing with them, coaching them, um, and filling in the blanks for them when when they're too tired to think through the 24-page business plan and they have questions. I, I, I know that uh, you, you 
in the conversations we've had in the past, you you're you're very conservative when it comes to taking on debt and really want to explore all other options Perfect. before before <laughs> yeah. you get there. Yeah. So so I, that, that's that's uh, very consistent. I know another concept that you uh, are a proponent of, or you talk a lot about, is is about hustling. Mm-hmm. And when you when uh, tell us a little bit about when when you tell people you're going to have to do some hustling, what you what you're thinking there. Um, another c- consistent character trait that I find in new entrepreneurs is that they just really don't have an understanding of how much work it is to start a business. You alluded to it earlier, Gary. Mm-hmm. You know, it's when you when you undertake to start a business, whether you're bivocational or not, you are. It's a. It's just about around the clock. I mean, you are. You are the president, you are the CFO, you are the sales team, you are the customer service, you are the receptionist, you are, you are the accounting and the book. And very few of us have all those skills. True. true. And exactly. And that's why it's such a, that's why it's such a, it, it is a burden. I mean, it, it really, you come under um, a great weight when you undertake to start a business. And it takes a unique individual, and I say that intentionally, it takes a unique individual to um, to willingly take on the yoke of entrepreneurship and and just go after it with everything that's in them. And really, Jeff and Gary, that's when we're working with entrepreneurs and interviewing and talking with them and doing some discovery, that's one of the things we look for first. We're mining for that relentless that relentless pursuit of a, of their dream. Do they have is, do they want it more than anything? And if we can start there, if, if we see in them the fire that's going to keep them hustling when it's 8.30 at night and there's about three hours worth of bookkeeping left to do, um, are they going to do that or are they going to let it roll over and let it roll over and then um, hurt themselves? Hustle is, it's the, the, the school of busted knuckles as we talk about. It's the, it's the bloody knuckles and the sore backs and, and the under, seeing that as the joy of entrepreneurship and not and not the burden. You know, my papa, he, he would always say, I'd say to him at the end of the day, he'd say, um, uh, it would suddenly be going down. He'd be wore out sitting in his chair and dozing off after a long, hard day working in cabbage or tobacco or whatever. And uh, I'd say to him, how you doing, papa? And he'd say, I feel good. I feel good. I could look back over my shoulder and see the work that I've done today. Right. And that's really what's got to be your energy for that first year as an entrepreneur. You, and I say that all the time in the, in the workshops. I'll say, you've got to price your products and build your company so that at the end of the day when you're exhausted and you're just looking for a soft place to fall, when you look over your shoulder and you see the lower 40 plowed, that's all the payment that you need for now. The harvest will come. Well, Gary, you also uh, recently put a book out uh, called uh, Dirt Road Doctorate, Ten (laughs) Principles for Business Success from the School of Busted Knuckles. Yes, sir. Tell us us a little bit about your book. Well, um, it's it's a book of true stories from my childhood uh, from a one-lane dirt road in the mountains of North Carolina um, that helped shape the way that I see business and the way that I see my fellow man. And uh, so I took true stories from my childhood after much, much pressure from friends and family to write a book about my life. Um, uh, Wrote 10 true stories and pulled uh, business principles from those stories that I think will help 
mm-hmm. entrepreneurs and business owners alike um, look at their business and their employees a, a little different. Well, are there? Uh, can you can you share a story with us? I mean, I, we sure. probably don't have time to go through ten, but uh, <laughs> you know, what's, what, what sure. in terms of uh, something that would be uh, relevant to startups and, and people starting a business? What uh, you know? Sure, give, give us tease us a bit. Well, you know, to, to to go along with this with this topic today of of uh, market research and everything, there's a story of my brother and my cousins. We climbed the. The side of the mountain there. In fact, if you're looking at the cover of the book, it's the mountain on the left that we had climbed. <clears throat> and that side of the mountain was covered with large grapevines. Very large, the size of a man's arm. So um, all of us, all four of us, my two cousins and my brother and I had pocket knives. So to, to get a good swinging vine, you've got to cut it off at the ground. And uh, we had done that. We had decided we were going we to swing for as long as we could till we were called in for supper or whatever. So we cut it off at the ground, and uh, there was a logging road that ran about halfway up the mountain uh, sideways, and my brother was the first one to ride. So he backed up the mountain as far as he could, and being young fellows, we could run. Gary, we could fly. (laughs) We could sprint. So he ran down just as fast as he could, and he hit that logging road, and off the side of the logging road he went, and he swung for what felt like 30 minutes to us. He swung way, 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 way out there. And if you've ever swung on a vine, by the time you get to the end, you're beginning to rotate. So he came all the way back, and we got him on the road, and we caught him, and he landed. And he was like, that's the greatest vine ride ever. Oh, my goodness. So I was next. So I took the vine, and I did exactly what he did. I backed way up the side of the mountain, and I come running down, hit the dirt road, hit the the logging road, and I launched out. And I got all the way to maximum extension on that vine. You could see for miles. And it popped. Once. One little pop. And then panic sets in. When you ride a vine, if you get the pop, you know what's coming next. The thing's about to break. You just start praying and saying, Lord, let me make it back. Well, I didn't. It, just a few seconds later, it broke, and I fell all the way down to the mountainside and landed in a pile of wood that my papa had uh, stacked up next to a tree. <coughs> Thought I was killed. Nice, nice soft landing there. Yeah, yes. How convenient. You know, it was probably better that I landed there instead of on the side of the mountain because I was, I was positioned precariously, and that wood went everywhere, and I kind of broke my fall. But I, when I got my senses to me, I could hear the guys up on the road laughing themselves silly. I'm sure that looked hilarious. So the principles that I extract from that is um, always test the vine. Test your theory before you... Well, I was thinking as you were talking about, I'd be the one that the vine would break. <laughs> You guys guys are pretty skinny. I don't know. I'm not sure about that. Always test the vine. Um, Another principle from that story is don't swing beyond your research. Uh, Oh, I like that. Don't swing beyond your research. Um, uh, Look where you're going to, look where you would land if you do fall. In other words, pay attention below. And uh, another principle is make sure there's someone to catch you when you get back. Very good. Uh, and the last principle I think from that from that story is taking all the views while you're out there, because it may be your last ride. Yeah. You better better enjoy your ride. That's right. Yeah. You get everything you can out of the ride. Great messages. <laughs> and you're here to talk about That's it. That's right. I live to tell about it. It's true. Well, <laughs> well, we appreciate you joining us to to 
share uh, your thoughts today on on feasibility, bootstrapping, and and also about the uh, being Tarzan school of yeah, busted knuckles. Right. There, <laughs> if people want to find you and want to find your book, where should they be looking, Gary? They can find me at Norris Ventures, uh, NorrisVentures dot com, uh, and they can find the book Dirt Road Doctorate on Amazon Books. Okay, well, very good. Well, we very much appreciate you Gosh, uh, joining you guys us. For Absolutely, it's been an honor. It really has. Well, uh, we, we like to wind up our uh, each podcast by sharing a, a small business that we've run into uh, during our travel. So, so uh, Dean Gary Muller, what is your uh, small business this month? Well, you know, I have themes of food and animals most of the time. Well, I'm on that theme. I uh, actually got it from my wife. Uh, my business of the month is Hen and Egg Restaurant in Newton, North Carolina. Have you heard of it? Right, it's, an egg? it's pretty new, very new. Not yet. I, okay, we're going to talk about it a little on. bit. And it's a new reason for residents to wake up early and enjoy some breakfast. Uh, the Hen and Egg officially opened in the past few weeks. Uh, owners Lamia and Fred Cosby uh, are no strangers to restaurants or the city of Newton. They're previous owners of the Blue Moon Tavern in downtown uh, Newton. Okay, got you. There yes, you go. Yes. Yeah. Uh, where they stayed for several years before they sold the business. And prior to that, they owned the Sidewalk Cafe in Conover. Gotcha. Uh, and wanted to look to get a, a daytime activity because the blue moon is a lot at night, so I understand that. And so they're doing breakfast and lunch. Uh, and they took a building in uh, downtown Newton that needed repair, got a grant, and have refurbished it. So it's going to be a great addition to Newton. Uh, country. Uh, breakfast all day long, and then a lunchtime cuisine of southern food. And my wife's, even though she's from the south, isn't as crazy about that kind of food as I am. So she said, I'm going to love it, and it's going to be a great addition to Newton. Oh, very good. So there we go. Yes. All right. Well, so head and egg. Head and egg. All right. Well, I will check that one out. So... So for my small business of the month, I was in a Lowe's grocery store a couple weeks ago, and there was a fellow giving out samples of a local food product called Abby's Better Nut Butter, which is like a peanut butter, but it's made with more healthy ingredients and, and made in several flavors. And it turns out that the, the guy that was providing samples was the father of the person who started the business, a, a young lady named Abby Kersher in Mooresville, North Carolina. So two years ago, when she was only 15 years old, she decided that she didn't like the nut butters on the market and when she was concerned about ingredients in traditional peanut butters that they were not as healthy for you as she would like. So she started working in her kitchen and created her own nut butter, something that was more healthy, naturally sweetened, tasted good, and started experimenting around and came up with several flavors using nuts, coconut oil, fruit, vanilla extract, salt, and ground coffee beans. And she started uh, uh, coming up with the product, uh, passed the fi- friends and family taste test. She started testing it at farmer's markets, was successful there. And two years later, Abby's Better Nut Butter is being sold in many Lowe's grocery stores in North Carolina and Tennessee, as well as uh, other independent stores in the southeast. It has five flavors, date pecan, honey almond, coffee almond, coconut cashew, which I tried and thought was very good, uh, and strawberry cashew. So 
Abby's Better Nut Butter. That's my small business of the better month. Better Nut local. Butter. Yeah, and so you got to take your hat off to to a young lady who uh, <clears throat> uh, made it happen, and you know, she's seventeen year old, seventeen years old now. You can actually buy her product online at uh, Abby's Abby's Better dot com. A B B Y S B E T T E R dot com. Uh, and, and also show you where it's available uh, to purchase in grocery stores. So, so that's another one that you should be checking out. So, awesome, and very good. That's uh, what I was looking over your shoulder yeah. to see. Seems it looks the, the, cool. Yeah, I've got a brochure. It doesn't look as good on the podcast. Yeah, it's, not, it it's tough to tell what, yeah. what really looks nice though. So anyway, so anyway, if you've got a suggestion for uh, our Entrepreneur Exchange Small Business of the Month, you can email them to us at eexchange at themesh.tv. And if we use yours, we'll get you an Entrepreneur Exchange prize pack. And, um, you know, we, we appreciate you listening. We want to thank uh, Gary Norris for joining us today. Absolutely. We want to thank The Mesh. You can download us at themesh.tv or you can subscribe at the iTunes store. So, uh Uh, Please do that, and we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks, folks. Enjoyed it. been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.